G'day everyone and welcome to the extras. My name is Mike. And I'm Sam. And we've changed seats, Sam. Yeah. This is we weird. Have. Yeah, it's quite weird. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I think I'm supposed to ask the questions and you're going to give the answers. Is that how it works? Gonna, I'm going to do my best. Good on you, mate. Well, this is good to be on the other the foot on the other shoe or something. I don't know. Shoe on the other foot? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yes. yeah I'm going to do really well at this, obviously. We <laughs> <laughs> might sub out right now. Yeah. Hey, welcome back. Uh, school holidays. We've had Mission Mining Conference. We've had awesome. Fantastic couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And now we're back into the Sermon on the Mount. How good's it been? Uh, well, I'm having a good time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. So uh, Sunday we heard the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, or at least the intro to it. Is that right? Yep. We, we got to read uh, first few verses of uh, the Beatitudes, which is yeah the, the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, his bit's pretty good. Mine was all right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those who missed it, Sam, give us a, a little uh, taste of what we missed on Sunday. Yeah, we did a couple of things on Sunday night. We recapped Matthew's gospel just to remember the themes of, of kingship, Jesus being the promised king, and also Jesus being the true Israel, the one who kind of uh, succeeded at every point where Israel failed. And then uh, we noted that following on that Israel theme, there's a bit of a parallel between the book of Exodus and the book of Matthew, the, the way that um, after kind of coming out of Egypt and having some time in the wilderness, uh, Israel uh, stand at the foot of the mountain and, and then Moses ascends and he gets to hear God speak and paint out what life in the covenant, life in the kingdom is all about. And Matthew's pretty referential of that. He, he captures that the same idea with his language. Um, now we're, we've got uh, up, we've come out of Egypt, Jesus has been tempted, and now goes up the mountain. And, and again, we're going to hear God speak about what life in the kingdom and what life in the covenant is all about. And that's what sort of sets the context for this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to paint a picture. And really, we, we just looked at the first 12 verses, uh, the, the blessings, the beatitudes, uh, which are which I call the norms of the kingdom, that these are the things that will characterize uh, the, the Christian life. And it begins with kind of coming uh, poor in spirit, empty-handed before God, mm. uh, mourning over mm. our sin, um, and then having received kind of grace and mercy from God, um, seeking after and, and pursuing, hungering and thirsting is Jesus' language for for righteous conduct um, and and recognizing that as we as we seek to live that way, we'll be persecuted. And so, sort of getting into some of the big themes: grace, repentance, uh, uh, hungering for righteousness, and mm. persecution, which are going to be the themes that kind of um, are going to roll through the coming weeks of the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks, mate. That's really helpful. So we've got uh, we just got three questions today. Mm. Uh, so the first one is: How do you know um, righteousness? has a different definition in this context. Now, this comes out of your sermon where you uh, talked about some mm. different definitions of righteousness. and yes. you, uh, So do you want to just explain a little bit further why you think that uh, righteousness in this context might be different to somewhere else, say in Romans or something like that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I made the distinction between what, what you might call forensic righteousness, which is the righteousness that Jesus gives you, uh, imputes to you um, by the by sort of virtue of his death on the cross, giving you a righteousness that you don't deserve. Now, that's absolutely true, and the book of Romans is going to get your head deeply into that mm. kind of doctrine, doctrinally. Mm. Um, well, I think Matthew, when he says hunger and thirst for righteousness, however, is talking about righteous conduct, and that was the uh, point I made on Sunday night. Okay. And I take it, again, context is the thing that's going to help you there. Um, and if you go over to chapter 6, verse 1, um, Jesus there says, 
be careful not to practice your righteousness before men. Uh, and then goes on to say those who do, they actually, they've already received their reward in full. And, uh, and I think if you kind of chase the word righteousness um, through Matthew's gospel, that seems to be the, the thing it's referring to. So I don't think that's in, I don't think that contradicts Paul's kind of forensic righteousness that is imputed to Jesus has just said, come as poor in spirit and uh, kind of receive grace. So obviously there's going to be a righteousness that's given to us. But I think when he says hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's talking about that that righteous conduct, the righteousness that you practice. And I think that's always the way to go. Look at the context, um, chase mm. it up. And there's lots of good stuff online. You can sort of hunt and search for words on different websites and they'll show you um, every occurrence of them. You can do the work yourself. One of the tricky things, isn't it, is that different Bible writers will use the same word, but perhaps with a slightly different emphasis. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so righteousness here, the way it's used in Matthew's Gospel, is mm. kind of... Um, right conduct, whereas for Paul in, say, Romans, righteousness means kind of right standing. You said forensic, which is the the techo word. geeky word. Yeah, 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 right. right. Okay, so we've got to keep wrestling with the context. Yes. And uh, and it's okay that different uh, authors of the Bible use the same word differently. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that that's just one of the things... um, and you'll, I mean, you see it certainly in Bible writers. You, you see it just generally in the way that different people use different vocabulary for different things, even outside of the Bible. Mm. And you, you've kind of got to listen to, to a particular person as they speak and work out the, the way that they kind of, or what their meaning is. And context, again, is... Context um, is king. Yeah, context is king. It's yeah. the way to help, help, help you work that out. Nice. Okay, second question. Uh, to whom is the Sermon of the Mount written to? Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 suggests that Jesus is talking to his disciples. But when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 7.28, it says the crowds were amazed. So mm-hmm. who is it, Sam? Who's mm-hmm. listening? The yep. disciples or the crowds? Which one? Well, yes, I think is the answer. Um, they're, they're both there. Um, so again, context is going to help you work this one out. This is uh, kind of the theme of today. Um uh, back in chapter 4, Jesus has called his first disciples. So if you uh, dive into uh, Matthew 4, verses 18 uh, through 22, you see um, Jesus calling um, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and uh, James, and John. Uh, so you get the four of them there. Um, and he calls them to come follow him. And the word there uh, is the disciple word. Um, mm. And that's really what a disciple is. At its most simple level, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. But actually the same word is used uh, at the end of chapter 4 for the crowds. Um, verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And so... Discipled him. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's what yeah, it is. Right. And now at, at, there's going to come a point where the crowds are going to turn away because they're going to find that the, 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 the teaching and the, the message of Jesus is, is too hard and too much. Um, but for now, they are following him. They may be only following him because there's healing and um, miracles happening. Um, but yeah, I take it there's a particular address to, to at least the four. Um, you, you can do some work trying to harmonize the other gospels and try and work out who in particular is there. If you look at Luke's account, mm. um, you'll, you'll, you'll get a bit more info. Uh, but it, it's definitely the four. Um, and, but I, obviously the end of chapter seven says that the crowds are also amazed. So they've been listening in um, as Jesus has spoken. So I think, are there, is it the disciples? Is it the crowds? Yes, it's, it's both. Nice. So when I read the word disciples in the Bible, I guess my mind normally goes to the 12. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's where my imagination goes. But you're saying 
that's perhaps not necessarily the case and you can think a bit big, bigger picture. At least at this point in Matthew's Gospel, he nice. uses the word a little bit more loosely because lots of people, are, uh, huge crowds are following Jesus and that's that's the disciple kind of idea there. Um, those crowds are going to whittle away. By the time you get to the very end of Jesus, no one's, uh, at the very end of Matthew, no one is following Jesus. Everyone has deserted him. Um, and uh, certainly the crowds at some uh, uh, further down the track are going are gonna to peel away when... when uh, they, they find Jesus to be, to be teaching things that are hard. When the going gets tough. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Okay, and the last question. Um, persecution uh, was a big theme of the Beatitudes. Yep. And you made a point that verses 1 to 12 formed a bit of a bracket. You used the word inclusio. Yep. Um, but... The theme of persecution continues kind of outside of the brackets. It goes on in verse 13 and 14. And, and so uh, how, how, do we, uh, how do we understand that? Yep. Uh, so the, the, the inclusio is, is 3 to 10. Sorry, um, my bad. Yep, to 10. and that's uh, via the, the, the little phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's always worth looking out for if an idea is mentioned twice, uh, try and just look around. Uh, again, context is your friend, um, and, and then have a bit of a think. Could that be an inclusio? Could that be kind of capturing, um, be functioning like a bracket, kind of explaining everything within it? And I think that that is the case. Uh, the question is, that, yeah. Then what about eleven and following, where um, that sort of the inclusio is over, but now he seems to pick up on the theme of persecution a little bit bigger and expand on it. Um, and I think that that's that's right. That is what happens. Um, and I guess that's uh, I guess what you see happening through the rest of the sermon is that these ideas that have been raised by the Beatitudes in 3 to 10 um, get referenced throughout uh, the rest of the the Sermon on the Mount. Nice. And so lots of the ideas are, are actually going to pop up uh, again. Uh, righteousness is going to pop up a yeah. lot more. Yeah. Mercy is going to pop up a, a, a lot more. Um, being pure in heart. All these ideas are going to come up again. Um, and the first one is that, that Jesus speaks is kind of the last one that he, he's just finished with, which is um, persecution. And he actually expands it. Um, so he goes beyond persecution. He, he, he includes being insulted and people saying false things about you. So he actually um, broadens. It's not just being physically assaulted for the, for the name of Christ and that kind of persecution. It's even, even broader than that. Nice. So as we keep reading through the Sermon on the Mount by ourselves, look out for some of the things that have been raised in the Beatitudes. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, that's going to help us to kind of read it in context. and, and that, get That's the right. Full yeah, the Beatitudes message. at one level are, I think, somewhat programmatic for the, for the rest of, uh, of what's coming. Uh, I don't think it's too hard and fast, but there's certainly yeah, multiple referencing back to that start of the sermon. That's helpful. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Uh, what are we looking at this week? We are going to cover a, a massive chunk of Matthew's Gospel. We're going all the way to the end of chapter 5, um, and we're going to be uh, thinking about having righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, which I think Jesus is going to cut us to the heart, and, he, and he's going to say, not just where's your external righteousness, what what other people might see, but what's going on in the heart. And um, he's going to challenge the way the Pharisees were living, where they very much cared about the externals. Mm. Uh, and he's going to say that's not good enough for a citizen of the kingdom. The citizen mm. of the kingdom um, ha- has had a heart change, which again kind of points you back to the, the covenant promises back in the Old Testament. Je- there was Ezekiel and Jeremiah. I said a day is coming when we're going to have new hearts and we're going to want to do the law from within. And Jesus is saying, that day has come, I've come to fulfill the law, and now there's going to be heart change for the people in the covenant, uh, the people in the kingdom. 
And so that's going to be the challenge to us. Uh, where's your heart at? And uh, is righteousness just a veneer on the outside? Or is it something that flows from the center of who you are? Terrific. Looking forward to it, mate. Make sure uh, you have a read of Matthew chapter 5. Mm. Um, but uh, as you read that, you'll find there's some pretty confronting stuff. And uh, I'm sure God's Word will both comfort us and convict us on Sunday with that. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Sam. It's good Thanks to be on the shoe on the other sole seat in the other foot. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll get it right one day. Indeed. Very good. <laughs> Have a good week. See yep. ya. See you, everyone.